But let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we pray as we look at your word that you would uh, speak to us through your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. Um, pray that you guide my words, that they be true and, and right. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you a virtue signaller? Um, that might seem a little rude coming from a guest speaker. <laughs> For to say to ask someone if, or to say someone is a virtue signaller is, is to suggest that they're um, displaying something that may not actually be there. So in the, in the uh, online Oxford Dictionary, it says that a virtue signaller or virtue signalling is the public expression of opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one good, one's good character or social conscience or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Now, I'm, I'm not actively on social media. However, this is the place to demonstrate your virtue, it seems. Uh, it might make you feel good about yourself to do this, and it may even make others feel good about you as well. It may enhance your image. Or perhaps we're not as um, blatant as, as doing that. Perhaps we're more subtle, hoping that people will notice our virtue um, without being so upfront about it. And I must confess that there are times when I'm hoping that people will notice something about me uh, because I think I've done something well. But there is a, an underlying question, um, and that is, is there really true virtue? Is there real character that is um, worth signalling or perhaps worth um, working on within ourselves? So is virtue something that we should be pursuing? And can we be really virtuous? Or should we bother? Well, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, has something to say to us about, <clears throat> about virtue, or as it's called, moral excellence. So we're going to turn our attention to 2 Peter chapter 1, just those 11 verses that were read. And Peter is... Um, addressing Christians in the mid-first century, that is, people who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And Peter, we know from the New Testament, was a very largest-life largest follower of Jesus. We meet him in the Gospels, we meet him in Acts. We know he was a fisherman from Galilee who followed Jesus but ended up denying Jesus right before Jesus was killed but then was uh, forgiven and became a great spokesman for Jesus, speaking boldly about Jesus being the risen king. We see that, for example, in Peter's um, bold speech in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. But now as we come to this letter, he tells us that he's close to death. So in verses 13 and 14, which we, we didn't read, he says, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, 
to stir you up a way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. We have a, a record from Clement in the late first century which says that Peter died in Rome, killed for his faith in Jesus. And it's most likely he wrote this letter from Rome shortly before his death. So as he's approaching the end of his life, what's, what's, his, what's important for Peter to say? And he says, as we read in verse 13, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So he's going to remind those he's writing to of things he's already said before. Nothing new, but reminding them of important things. And as we look at these first 11 verses, it seems there's three key things that Peter wants to say. He says that faith in Christ is the starting point for true virtue or true godliness. And the second thing he says is that God has given us all we need to live a life of godliness or virtue. And so he says, the third thing, make every effort to do these things, to live these, put on these godly qualities that he, that he lists out for us. And as we read through um, the, the rest of 2 Peter, we see that Peter is particularly concerned about some false teaching that was, was making the rounds, um, which was directing people away from trusting in Jesus. So, looking in more detail at the letter, the starting point is faith in Jesus Christ. But he introduces himself, first of all, in the first couple of verses, um, as Simeon Peter, a servant or slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a slave, he says, not a very flattering title. He's not here an older man demanding respect, uh, demanding his say, as old men are sometimes inclined to do. But he's saying his close relationship with Jesus gives him um, not in a sense, not a high position, but he still remains a servant of Jesus Christ. And yet he is also an apostle, one sent by Jesus, one who had witnessed his life on earth, one who had been with him. Uh, as he says down in verse 16, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. He was in a unique position to tell us about Jesus. And he is concerned mainly with us having a right understanding of Jesus. He refers to him often in this letter and refers often to knowing him truly. He speaks wonderfully about Jesus, his Saviour and his Lord. He writes about the faith of those whom he is writing to. He says in verse 2, to those who have had obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. He is writing to fellow believers in Jesus, for it is faith in Jesus that is in mind. And it is faith that is obtained or received. It is a gift. But the remarkable thing here is that, uh, well, as well as it being a gift, is that the faith 
is received that is received is of the same standing as the apostles. Now you might think that one such as Peter, who had been with Jesus, who had lived with him, who was such a prominent apostle in the Gospels, would have some kind of special place, some kind of privileged space. Um, Maybe his faith might be a little bit different. But Peter says no. Those whom he is writing to, those who have trusted in Jesus, have a faith of equal standing with his own. And why? Because it's by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. God in Christ has acted righteously, fairly, justly to all who trust in him. Not by treating us as we deserve, but he's acted generously because Jesus has died for us in our place. As Peter says in verse 4, he's writing to those trusting in Jesus who have escaped the corruption in the world. And in verse 9, he talks about how they've been cleansed from their sins. The Bible's clear that we are actually not virtuous by nature. We fail to be consistent. We fail to honour God as we ought to. And yet, as we trust in Jesus and his death, we are forgiven and we are given a new nature, a new beginning. And that applies equally to all who call upon the Lord to save them. If you've ever been overseas, um, been to the airport, and you, when you get there you find that there are um, different categories of passengers. So um, I normally go economy class because that's, that's the cheap way. But if you try and line up in the first, and first class or business, I've accidentally gone through that line once or twice and soon get directed to the you know, economy class. Um, you only get to go first class and if you pay the extra money. Well, it's not like that when we come to faith in Jesus. There's no first class, second class, third class. There's no apostles club, pastors club, elders club and the rest. It's the same for all who come to, come to Jesus. All of us are in this same privileged position of coming into relationship with God. All have a faith of equal standing. So for those of us who trust in Christ, this is a great encouragement that the forgiveness of sins and the restored relationship is given to us generously, generously by God on the same basis, the basis of Jesus' death, and we all equally share in the great benefits of what Jesus has done. And this is the starting point for the life of godliness, the life of virtue, that we come to Christ on the same basis. But Peter moves on to say, um, he talks about how God's grace and peace is multiplied in the knowledge of God. And then he, he, uh, he mentions some tremendous things that God has given to those of us who trust in Christ. He says that God has given us all we need to live a godly, a virtuous life. So he speaks of two great things that God has given Verse 3, 
His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What an incredible statement that is. Everything we need for life and godliness, given from God, or given from Jesus, who is indeed God. All we need to live in God-likeness. God has not left us alone. He's not left us unequipped to live this life. And the gift comes through the knowledge of him who called us, that is Jesus. As we come to know him, and as Peter says, look how magnificent Jesus is. Um, Verse... Yeah, still in verse 3. He has called us to his glory and excellence. Um, more likely, there's, there's an alternative reading there in, in the ESV, which is by, he has called us by his glory and excellence, which seems to fit better with the passage. The glory and excellence of Jesus himself. He has called us by that glory and excellence. Jesus is the truly virtuous one. And surely as we come to know Jesus Christ, who is this tremendous, tremendous um, God himself, so, so, um, so excellent, as we come to know him, surely he will not leave us alone to live a life in relationship with him. And that's what Peter's saying, he doesn't. And then Peter goes on to say the uh, second tremendous thing that God has done, the tremendous gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, by his glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God, Jesus, has committed himself to us by promising many things to us as we trust in him. For example, hear hear what Peter had to say in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, at Pentecost. He said, Repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A tremendous promise for all who trust in Christ. Or down in verse 11 here, he talks about a richly provided entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as he goes on later in in the letter in chapter 3 to talk about the new heavens and the new earth that God will bring about, a, a place of righteousness... There are such tremendous promises that God has given us that we can um, be confident in, that we can trust in. And these promises have been made so that we may become partakers in the divine nature. Now Peter is most likely countering some uh, teaching that we, we know or we get hints of in the letter that is going around Um, to say that there may be some kind of secret knowledge that you need to have to achieve a special level of uh, exaltedness as a Christian. What came to be known as Gnosticism in the first and second centuries. But here he's just boldly emphasising that the knowledge to gain is knowledge of Jesus. That we've been given these tremendous promises so that we may share and partake in the very nature of God. 
in God-likeness. That, that is just amazing, that God wants us to be in some way like him, in our character, in, our, in the way in which we live. And it's not just knowledge about Jesus, but it's actually knowledge of God, knowledge of Jesus as personal, as person, as person to person. God is personal. Peter could speak of knowing Jesus, yet his faith was of the same standing as ours. And we too, as we know God through Jesus, through his word, through prayer, through meeting with his people, through walking with him day by day, we'll find that our lives are changed. In, um, in the 4th century, there was a great theologian named Athanasius, and he had this really short saying which really captures so much. He said, He, that is Christ, became like we are, that we might become like he is. God has already become, become like us in sending his son, Christ, to become one of us. The perfect man and perfect, perfectly God as well. So that we, as we trust in Christ, might become like him. This is such an incredibly rich picture of the way in which God has acted towards us, acted towards those of us who trust in Christ. And it hinges on knowing the magnificent, the, how great Jesus is and his great gifts towards us. He has given us all we need to reflect his very character in our lives. Now, we have many concerns in our lives. Um, all sorts of things happen to us. It can be um, relationships, we have families, perhaps um, pressures of work, pressures of um, perhaps even pressures, you know, being involved in church. We can have struggles with health, struggles with relationships, struggles because we, we're standing up for Jesus and that can be difficult. We can get pushback and pressure. And Peter says, God has given us all we need for these things all we need for these situations and all we need to grow in godliness through all the things that we are going through in life. And indeed, God wants us to grow. So the third thing that Peter says is, look, you've got the same faith as the apostles. God's given you all you need to live a godly life. So, get on and live a godly life, basically. He says, make every effort to put on these qualities that he lists in verses 5 to 7. Get on with, <clears throat> get on with reflecting the character of God. And as if he hasn't given us enough reason already, he does pile on some reasons in, in, the, in verses 8 to 11. Um, verse 8, he says, if these qualities which he lists out are yours and increasing, then you're, that will keep you from being either ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and 
Lord Jesus Christ. So want to be effective, want to be fruitful? Keep working on putting on these qualities. Uh, in verse 9 he says, on the other hand, if these qualities are not increasing in your life, then you've actually forgotten from where you've come. Where have you come from? Well, he, said, he says, we were part of the corruption of the world and Jesus has brought us out of that. We were weighed down by our sins, but Jesus has taken them away. Don't forget from where you've come. And then down in verse 10 he says, um, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And in fact, you're confirming the election and calling of God in your life. As you see these qualities increasing and growing, that's just reinforcing that God's actually at work in you and he has called you. And then finally in verse 11, and there are more reasons as we move through the letter, but in this passage, in verse 11, he says, and as you're, as you're doing these things, you will enter, you'll be moving towards that final um, kingdom, entering the kingdom of God. Now it's not that we uh, enter the kingdom by, by our own efforts, but these are as we demonstrate these qualities, they're showing that we belong to Jesus and that he is at work in us, changing our character. Make every effort, he says. It does take effort to change. Um, you just have to think about how we, we uh, change in our lives, and, and you'll know that's the case. It does require thinking, but also effort, and that's what Peter is focusing on here. As an example, um, I'm not sure... If you've ever um, been overseas to a country where you drive on the right-hand side of the road uh, and had the, the uh, on say, the uh, necessity of driving on the right-hand side of the road, uh, it can be quite a daunting process or prospect. I remember the first time I did it in um, Germany um, some 20 years ago and uh, <clears throat> street signs are all in a different language and the, and the car spoke to me in a different language. Um, so you've got to actually think about what you're doing. Um, it's a good idea to actually uh, have some idea of the road rules before you start and then you've also got to, once you start, you've got to um, be consciously thinking about what you're doing all the time. But after a while, after doing it for a while, it becomes more of a habit. And that is the way in which we build habits in our lives, isn't it? We have to think, we have to take steps to do them, and then as we practice those things, they become part of what we do. That's what habits become. And I think that's what Peter is, is urging us to do here, is to make effort to change to put on these qualities. It won't just, they won't just come by us sitting back and waiting, but they'll come as we are thinking about what God wants us to do and as we are doing them in our lives. So, what are they? I'm not going to spend a lot of time um, explaining them, but uh, just going to make some comments on each of them. And we, we see as we... There's been uh, quite a lot of comment on, over, over the 2,000 years on these qualities. 
And some people have observed that there is a move from uh, inwards to outwards. So we start with faith. It start, these qualities start with faith in our Lord Jesus and they move through to love, uh, love for others. So there's a move from... Um, there's a move from inwards to outwards and there's also some kind of progression. So he says to add to, add to faith... Um, virtue and so on but that doesn't mean you've got to you know start you can't go to step two until you completed step one so yes we want to add to um, faith virtue and to virtue knowledge but we that doesn't mean you can't be working on self-control until you've actually worked you know completed knowledge it's not like that it's not like you must complete step one before you get to step two we're to be working on all these things and they're to be added to our lives so, looking at, at these seven qualities, he starts with faith, faith in our Lord Jesus. He says, add to faith virtue. Virtue is the moral excellence I was, uh, started off talking about. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 is a great help in thinking about moral excellence. Whatever is good and right and honourable and lovely, Paul says in that passage. Knowledge. We all have some knowledge of Jesus if we are trusting in him. He says to add to it. Yes, intellectually, knowing more about Jesus, but personally, relationally, experiencing day-to-day life, walking with our Lord Jesus. Self-control. Not doing just what we feel like, but doing what is actually helpful to ourselves and to others. Uh, So, for example, self-control might be making time to actually read God's word and pray. Um, It might be restraining something that um, is not helpful to us, you know, maybe what we're we're listening to or what we're watching or how we're spending our time. So self-control is a decision to do certain things and not do other things. Steadfastness, keeping going. Um, persevering, continuing in the direction we know is right, even when it's more difficult to do that. Brotherly affection, concern particularly for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, As we have the opportunity to meet together, we can show that we are concerned for each other, that we are caring for each other. Brotherly affection. And finally he says love which includes brotherly infection, but love may be um, wider than that. Of course, love means loving even those, yeah, even our enemies, Jesus says, Uh, being concerned for and giving ourselves for others. Love. Look, that's a really quick run through these qualities. And I urge you to actually um, think over them and think about how you might make effort to make those more part of your life. That might involve um, thinking about something that you need to do more of or something that you need to do less of. But it will involve effort. And it will involve praying and asking God to do his work as well because he has given us everything we need to live 
a godly life. And above all, we might think, well, okay, that's something I, I need to go away and do, and yes, it is, but it's also something we can encourage each other together to do. In fact, some of them we can't do by ourselves, so it's hard to show brotherly affection when you're isolated. <laughs> that's something we can only do together. We can only love, really, when we're in a relationship with others. So Peter is urging, not just individually, but together, we grow in these qualities. So, how virtuous are you? <laughs> if we're honest, I think we'd say, of ourselves, we are not very. Um, we know that we, um, we struggle with sin, we struggle with that corrupt nature that we've been brought out of by our Lord Jesus. We are inconsistent and sometimes we go around selfish ways. But Peter says when we trust in Christ, yes, there is forgiveness and we are brought out of that corrupt, um, corrupt world. And we, are, we do have a faith of equal standing with the apostles. And so, and we also are given everything we need to live the godly life that God wants us to live. We, in fact, have come to know Jesus, the excellent one, and he is changing us. And so we are to make every effort to put, uh, to live out who we are in Christ, showing the very nature of God to one another and to the world. Not, I suggest, by virtue signalling, but by living out the virtue that um, Peter outlines for us in our lives as we walk with him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful and thankful for our Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness and the life we have with you through him. Thank you that you've so generously given us all we need to live as your people. We pray you would work in us that we would indeed make effort every effort to put on these qualities that we've, um, we've read of this morning, that we would grow more like our Lord Jesus. And we ask this through him. Amen.